Hey, Jess, happy Friday. Hi, happy Friday. February 19th, great to uh, be on with you and uh, really excited for the meetup. Um, been doing a lot of work on Clubhouse lately. Uh, just some really fun chats. I plan to do quite a few this weekend. So uh, crazy enough, I just put my cell number in the chat. So anyone that needs an invite to Clubhouse, let me know. Text me uh, your name and I will send you an invite to Clubhouse. Somehow I've been doing so many chats. I have so many invites. So I have a lot of invites. So we're going to go. Yeah, it's got to be an iPhone user still. Yeah. Android's not out yet. So we're going from cold Steve Jewell to hot, right? We're going from yeah. cold to hot really quick. And uh, while I pull our guest up, um, this is our series, Jess, that we've been doing around HR tech. And those are the people that have been keynoting, uh, or excuse me, are going to be keynoting at the spring HR tech conference. And you see the green call to action button below. Uh, we had Josh Burson on last week. Um, before that, we had Jackie Clayton, uh, and this is our third guest um, yeah. going to be, that will be keynoting at HR Tech Spring along with myself. And uh, Jess, I'll turn it over to you, um, you know, to do the uh, intros here. Yeah, well, we've got so many people on here who already know and love Torin Ellis, and I was fast and furious over the last couple of days inviting all of Torin's fans who have not heard him here in this community. Torin actually was my my step-in co-host last year, Jason. The one time, I think, the only one time you've you've not been able to make one of these, and Torin stepped in and uh and was a was a fantastic co-host. Uh Torin is doing is one of the most important voices on one of the most important topics I think we can be talking about right now. And that is the reason um, that we still haven't solved for diversity and inclusion in society and life, but in the workplace for sure. Uh, and I love Torin's story. He's a former recruiter like me. I don't know, I might have this affinity, Jason, for, <laughs> for talent scouts. I think maybe because you see a lot of things. Um, but Torin, uh, Torin is a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist. He works with big organizations, uh, on getting their diversity strategy straight. And he's really big on, I hate to do too much intro for him because I, I don't want to steal the words he uses so beautifully himself, uh, but he's really big on accountability. Uh, and so he is one of the keynotes for Spring HR Tech. Super excited to see what he'll have to say next month. If you're not registered yet, gang, this is HR Tech, the conference we usually know to occur in the fall. There's a spring show this year, which is amazing. It's next month, uh, March 16th through the 19th. It's a free event and an incredible lineup. Again, hats off to Gina Kelly, an incredible lineup of speakers and content for us all to learn and continue shaping the industry. So... <clears throat> We're really excited to to have him with us. Yeah, he's adjusting his fedora. <laughs> so Jess, uh, Torin is on the way. Um, Perfect. So it uh, looks like he's having a f maybe a few issues with his uh, fedora. But um, Jennings, thanks for being here. Jennings is one of Torin's fans like me. I think I'm in Torin's fan club for sure. <laughs> oh, he's here in the house. What's happening? <laughs> Good to see you, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, so listen, uh, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of the culture. 
which depends on the quality of the relationships, which depends on the quality of the conversation said by Judith Glazer. Let's have a good conversation. Woo! I love it. Wow. That's not, this is not cold. This is hot. <laughs> Torn, what do you think? Would you, would you jump in that water? Hell no. And let me tell you <laughs> something. I grew up in Davenport, Iowa. So like, I absolutely know what it's like to deal with a Midwest winter. I know what it's like to have to drive across town in feet of snow. They didn't close schools when I was growing up. Like we literally went to school, no matter what the situation was outside. We made it to church every Sunday. My mom and father were absolutely adamant about it. Put that water in front of me today. Absolutely not. <laughs> not doing it. Well, you know, Jess was about to jump in there today. Good for Jess. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to say to that? I, I'm hey, listen. I'm not a man who's trying to get in the way of people's ambition. So good for Jess. Mark, we have someone here from Rock, or excuse me, we have Torn. We have someone here from Rock Island, the Quad Cities. Let me. Who is that? Quad Cities. Yeah, Mark, that's Mark Nagel with Southwest Airlines. Ah, tell Mark. Hey, so Mark, listen. I was a Davenport Central Blue Devil. I played football, ran track. We never really had to deal with Rock Island. We didn't get to play you all all that much, but I'm confident had we crossed the bridge, we would have handled our business over there as well. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. So Torin, why am I echoing? Am I echoing for anybody but me? You're I good. have none. I'm good. Okay, I'm just gonna keep going then. Torin, tell everybody your story. You started as a recruiter back in the day. Yeah, and still do. Uh, you know, I appreciate the way that you gave the introduction and thank you and Jason for allowing me and trusting the voice yet again. Um, so I think mine was a little bit easy. You know, like most people, I, I didn't go to school or plan to be in recruiting. You know, it, it kind of happened upon me. I was working for MCI communications, building an extremely successful sales team. I got tired of the people that HR was giving me. And so I said, listen, you can worry about the other teams in the building. I'll focus on building my own team. And so I went out and taught myself how to recruit, you know, listening to people in restaurants and chatting with sales reps inside of clothing stores and, you know, looking at folks that may have been uh, in various places that I was. I learned how to recruit on the job. And so when I left MCI in 1998, that's what I did. I started a, re a recruiting firm with a, a, a dear friend of mine. We were in the select business and, you know, it was wildly successful. Like I didn't think the money would stop until the bubble burst. Mm -hmm. And then it stopped. It stopped cold. Uh, and so, you know, my friend was like, look, I'm going back to corporate America. I can't. It's a little rough in these streets when we don't have no income coming in. And, you know, me, I'm hard headed. I'm stubborn. Uh, I wanted to stay out and make it work. I just knew that I could do this. And, you know, I learned some other industries, got some new clients and, and here we are. And so just, you know, for me, I think I got tired of the transactional aspect only. And so it's 2012 when I put a flag in the ground and said that we were going to focus on helping organizations find underrepresented and overlooked talent. Like I could not believe that these companies continued to put out a press release about what's important and we're not making any progress. 
And so in 2012, I said, I'm just going to start working with organizations and helping their recruiting teams optimize their DNI efforts. And that's where we are right now. You know, the thing that kills me about diversity recruiting, Torin, is that we act like we we drum up diverse candidates and drum yeah. up diverse slates of talent. We don't you don't drum up anything. It exists. We exist in a world of incredibly diverse people and talents and skills. And so the problem is not finding them. My God, they're everywhere. The problem is the way we try to attract and hire them. It's the processes that we use to bring them in our organization and the environment we give them once they get there. But this whole notion of like having a diversity recruiting strike, I, I get that it's about the process and the strategy, but diverse talent already exists. We're just not doing the right thing with them. Yeah, I think about uh, my keynote presentation, my signature presentation in 2018 was everybody wants ice cream. So every year I kind of like line up what it is that I'm going to talk about and then we zone in on that message. So in 2018, the keynote presentation was everybody wants ice cream. A moving presentation starting with 50 years ago, 1965 Civil Rights Act, Bear Bryant and you know his representation in football coming through to how we are doing recruiting inside of organizations up until that time. And at the end of that presentation, I played a video of two little girls that wanted to go get ice cream, one white, one black. They swore that they were twins. Had half of the room in tears whenever you would see the video. Very emotional. You could connect to that. And so the title, though, was the piece that I wanted folks to focus on. Everybody wants ice cream. Everybody wants pizza. Everybody wants a burger. Everybody goes to church. Everybody's at the hardware store. Everybody cuts their grass on Saturdays. We know our newspaper guy, our lawn man. We, every, it's all the same. So to your point, like I always find it interesting when we say that we can't find talent. No, you don't want and or you are not finding talent, but we all want ice cream. 2019, it was lions, um, lions, dinosaurs, and diversity. Um, and then this year, uh, the keynote presentation is less allyship, more action. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I think we start in the wrong. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. There's a question that I have to get to. Yep. So, and this is a little bit off topic. But before we get too deep, the question was last job before starting your recruiting life. Uh, it was at MCI. I ran a sales team at MCI Communications, who uh, is now under the Verizon umbrella. When I left MCI Communications, I had one of the top 70 teams in the entire country. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, Steve, for the question. Go ahead, Jess. I don't remember. Oh, so much. I hate the questions because when I don't get to ask the questions, I forget about them. So no, no. I'm glad we got it in. Um, it's so we, hey, so Jason, I got a question for you real quick. Is that all right? Like, real quick after that, can we do? I mean, is the hat all right? Can you? Could you? Could you rock like a mustard colored hat with a a red? <laughs> could you do that? I, I was just wearing one earlier today, and I can't find it. That's why I was looking around the room but, for it. But thank uh, you. You know, like you, you know, match the fly. Come on, man, let's do this thing. Yeah, I mean, Jana Kelly sent me that same hand. I just haven't. I don't have it right here. Ah, oh, there you go. You just don't have it. Got it. 
Yeah. Got it. Um, okay. So next time, next time. Um, but hey, turn a quick question. So about uh, about the uh, about the uh, the keynote. So tell me the title again. Less allyship, more action. So allyship. Let's let's go into that. Can you explain sure. what that means? Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, what it means, it's an action word. You know, and it's it's more than just putting up a press release and saying that our organization cares about diversity and inclusion. It's more than a person like you, Jason, saying, but I have a black friend. It's more than just simply saying, I love passing my microphone to black women and those that are overlooked. It's about how are we agitating in an intentional way in our organizations to build culture that allows people to really be their whole self, like we say. And again, I've said this before in the past, and sometimes I feel like, you know, a bit of a broken record because I'm like, well, I mean, they probably want me to say something different, but it's hard to say something different when what you say the first time is so spot on the truth. Mm -hmm. And so you have to repeat it over and over and over and over again. And so allyship is an active word. It's being more than just simply prescriptive on a piece of paper. It's being more than ask, asking for another report. I was in a thread yesterday by Katrina Kibbins, and she meant well by putting me in it. She said, well, what do you say to people when they say they want the business case? Well, I said, I gave her like three different responses. I said, well, which business case do you want? Do you want the one from Boston Consulting Group and McKinsey and Deloitte and Kaleidoscope and all of the rest of the people who have drafted the reports that says diversity and inclusion is better for the business? Do you want that business case or or do you want the business case that simply says, well, we we probably need to justify why we're going to invest money going to these schools over these schools and recruiting with these community groups over these community groups? Do, do you want that business case or do you want the other business case, the last one, which I really give to people and say, well, did you ask for a business case when you hired that crop of mediocre white men over the last five years? Like which business case is it that you want me to give you? And it doesn't matter what I say. All of them cause them to pause. And what I say to people today, Jason, is if you know that your organization is not doing what is required to take care of its people, then you got a responsibility to say something. And I'm not saying that you are speaking on behalf of black people. I'm saying on behalf of an organization, if you care then you got a responsibility to show that form of allyship. It's got to manifest and exhibit itself in some particular way. And it starts with our voice. That is that conversation that I mentioned in the beginning. So Torin, one of the things that you said, I love the agitating intentionally. Um, and I kind of called that in the chat here, I called it the AI, the real AI for 2021. How about that? you know, agitating intentionally. But when is agitating too much? Um, so what, you know, and, and and I say this as someone, you know, who is on the periphery of this conversation where, you know, if someone starts saying it too much, it turns into noise versus action. And, and I really need to, I really want, I don't want it to be noise, you know? So, oh, there they go complaining about this again. There they go bringing this up again. Yeah. Agitating to me, that's what it denotes. And I want to make sure that that it's smart agitation, if I if we could use that term. Let me give you an example from 1994. So even though I had an extremely successful sales team, 
I found out a couple of years later that the knock on me in the organization was that my timing was off. So I'd sit inside of our sales meetings with our directors. And at that time, I think MCI uh, was charging like 29 or 30 cents a minute for long distance. Uh, AT&T was charging like 31, 32 cents a minute for long distance. And I can't remember, I think it was Sprint or whomever was charging like 27 or 28 cents. And so the point is we were all within like a penny of one another. And I would say in a meeting, as an example, like, well, if we really want market share and we really want business, then why don't we just drop the rate to 25 or why are we playing around with this penny? And so it was comments like that, that people felt were combative. They felt they were poorly timed. They felt like I was challenging leadership in a way that was a bit um, disparaging, if you will. And so I never received the level of promotion that I, I felt like I had earned. And certainly a lot of people felt like I deserved. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand as the young Torin that my timing was extremely important. So to your point, Jason, I don't mean agitate like a bull in a china shop. I don't mean that we have to raise awareness and amplify every minor of infraction that we see inside of an organization. But I'm saying when we see things that are egregious, then you need to call that out. And you got to figure out a way to call that out. Do you do it in the moment when you could possibly be emotional? Or do you step back, gather yourself, collect your thoughts, drop it in an email, tap a person on the side, say, hey, you know what? Can we talk after this meeting? Maybe me, you and I could we, we got to figure it out. And we're all grown on, on this particular broadcast. Some of us a bit more tenured than others. There are some people on here right now that are watching that are like the young version of Torn in 1994. Like they ain't fucking around. They're going to tell you what it is right now when, boom, get it. But then there's some other folks like me that are 52 and they're like, look, we done been through a couple of these rodeos. We understand that we got to kind of, we got to meter ourselves a little bit. So all I'm saying is, just really look at and observe the situation. It's really around that situation awareness. Do I speak now or do I speak later? But silence, especially when it's egregious, is not an option. Love that. Love that response. Uh, and I kind of it's kind of funny. I asked you the question, is it too much? And uh, I got slammed in the chat, which I love, by the way, because it, it's something that's really, really important uh, because I've been in situations where the, their people's timing was terrible, um, you know, and we were in a situation in 2020 last year, as you know, and, and still in it right now and will be forever where we're trying to battle these multiple pandemics. And, you know, I was up at a, a big client of ours up in Portland that makes shoes, um, you know, and there's like, hey, we have 70,000 people trying to call in to see if this is a safe place to come back to work, you know, because of COVID. And at the same time, there was someone else in the room having this discussion around a, an issue in the diversity and inclusion space. And I was like, don't you realize we have important things to deal with? And the whole room just went silent. The whole room just went silent as they were putting the public health crisis above the, you know, social justice crisis. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll never forget that moment. Um, but I love the concept of timing and presentation style. Um, yeah. Cause I think it's, it's so important. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I just know right. that, you know, again, from my past experience and certainly from, you know, even recent experience. I mean, I had poor timing. 
at a presentation that I did in Detroit, Michigan. And, you know, and I tell the story because I want people to understand that while like no one can, there's no one who can question my commitment to the DNI space. No one. The amount of sacrifice that I and my family have made because I've been committed to this work, the number of clients who have started to work with me and when they uncover where I'm going to take them in that journey, they pull back because they don't want me to pierce the veil. The amount of sacrifice has been incredible. I don't say that for sympathy. But what I am going to share with you is that even in my dedication to representation and inclusion, well, I've made a mistake. And I remember September 2019, standing in that auditorium, I told a young man, you ain't black. Three words, three words. Those three words separated him for the entire presentation. Everyone else in the auditorium is like, wow. Well, not everyone, but most people in the auditorium are like, man, this is incredible. The reviews afterwards were the bomb. LinkedIn connections went through the roof. You know, all of those things that you experience if you deliver and do a great job. But that one person was offended. And as a result of them being offended, I issued a video apology to him. I issued a video apology to the entire organization. And I made a donation to a nonprofit of his choosing. Wow. All three. The fourth thing, I offered to fly back to Detroit, take him and his family to dinner, period, to listen to how he felt in that moment. Now, he didn't take me up on that fourth one, but that's just the person that I am. I don't run from anything. I'm not scared of nobody. There's not a CEO on this planet that's going to stop me. There's not a consultant that's going to stop me. There's not losing money that's going to stop me. Nothing can stop me from being dedicated to the space. But I am also going to take responsibility when I make a mistake. So my timing was off in 2019. Message was the bomb, but it didn't reach that one individual. And that could have been the person that I could have most needed on my side. I'll never know to this day. There was a question a minute ago, Torin. What would 1994, did I get that year right? What would yeah. old Torin, what advice would old Torin, 1994 Torin, give to yourself today? Oh, man, to keep running as hard as I'm running. You know, because the younger Torin didn't know, you know, I, I think just I'm actually going back even before 1994. I'm in the place where I always knew I would be, even though I served in the military and I worked for a few years in corporate America. I've always been enterprising and entrepreneurial. I didn't know that that was a word, but that's who I've always been since I was 10. And so I always knew that I would be my own business person. But what I didn't know, Jess, when I was going through the military and my formula, uh, first couple of years after separation, what I didn't know is that if I thought about this sweatshirt and making this sweatshirt or making this hat, that if I didn't know how to do it, there were some manufacturers out there that would get it done. I always, and I'm this is no exaggeration, at 22 years old, I always felt like if you can't do it or you can't do most of it, then it's not a business for you to be in. So if I'd have really recognized earlier in the game that I could have been an entrepreneur really at 18 or 20 or 22, 25, I would have left corporate America even before 30. The only reason I stayed in corporate America until I was 30 is because it started to click like, yo, for real, you don't need to know how to do everything. 
as mm-hmm. long as you know how to put the right people in place, you can make some things happen. So the young Torn would have told this Torn, run even harder. I love that. I have a little bit of a bone to pick. Do that. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Here we go. Jason, right. don't get in the way of an individual who wants to pick a bone, and especially when they're moving their hair around. So you know that this is some stuff they done thought about. No, you so know what? I just do that. Yeah, let her pick it. Have fun. Go ahead, this, pick. This whole thing about timing. I, again, I'm echoing again. As long as this sounds okay for everybody else, I'll keep going. Um, I agree and I understand why we're talking about, you know, sort of understand your audience, pick the right timing. There's a moment for everything. But I think we don't understand. I think we are approaching this whole conversation, racism, from the wrong angle. We're acting like this is Good Samaritan work. Like, oh, if I see somebody stranded on the side of the road, of course I'm a good person and I'll stop. We treat, we treat these issues like it's good Samaritan work that we do when it flares up in front of our eyes because we're good people and out of the kindness of our hearts. Instead of treating it like what it is, which is a cancer on society. And if you had cancer, you would root it out. Screw timing. You would have a plan, a treatment plan to root it out because I have cancer and my goal is to be cancer free. I, I think we don't understand. I think we're not having the biggest, most important conversation there is that we live in a year and a time in history when racism exists and racism is a cancer on society and we need a treatment plan. Everybody needs a treatment plan. And so this whole timing thing, again, I think we're too gentle with the topic. We act like this is, you know, oh goodness gracious, look what happened with George Floyd. Good Samaritans, please step in. And, and and do this important work when you have time for it. No, we are sick. We are sick and we need to fix it. Yeah, well, I absolutely agree. And I don't know who we is because this we is not a part of that conversation. I say it and say it often and say it unapologetically. I am never going to provide racist cover. I've said it before. We need more white women to not bake their races, husbands and boyfriends and brothers and nephews apple pies. Like I am absolutely frustrated and tired of the siege that racism has on our country, period. So no, I am not a part of that. We, if you look at my, probably my last tweet from last night, I put up an article that said that the pandemic has, now we already know that the pandemic has, has been hard on everyone. It has been harder on certain audiences, certain communities. I put up a tweet last night that said the pandemic has shaved close to three years off of the life of black men. And that the number is actually going to get worse because the study was only done from January until June of last year. The pandemic actually was worse July through December of last year. So that that timing is probably going to, we're going to lose even more of our life. And so what I said was the emotional drain of being black. I don't make everything about race. I'm absolutely here trying to advocate for audiences that are overlooked, people with disabilities, the LGBTQ community, with an emphasis on the T for transgender. 
I absolutely am advocating for people that come from different religious and ethnic backgrounds. We just can't minimize the incredible, the incredible weight of racism in our country. Like if I'm over in Europe, probably got to deal with it there as well. But when I start moving in Middle East and LATAM and some of the other geographies, race is less of an issue and it becomes some of the other stuff, religious or sexual uh, identity or non-gender conforming or something of that sort. But while we are here, racism is a big deal. It is an absolute big deal. And I address that in our HR tech you know, keynote presentation, and it's only for a moment, but I, listen, I got a responsibility. I don't care what everybody else talk about. I don't care what they talk about. I don't care how they deliver it. That's their choice. That's their business. If they want to talk about Boolean strings and technology and pretty charts and all that, and Jason did a bomb job in you all's presentation a month and a half ago, like I text you while Jason was talking. I was like, yo, give me that QR code. Cause mm-hmm. I was trying to work that QR code into my keynote for the rest of the year. I couldn't do it, Jason, but I just want you to know that you did it. Yeah. I'm dead serious. Jason, just to tell you, I like, I was <laughs> like, yo, he is on it right now. I couldn't work it in, but I'm here to tell you, I am going, whenever I show up, I am going to always point the conversation to humanity. Yes. I, that's one thing I, I love many things. That's one thing I love about your platform and the way you show up in the world touring. You're, you're, you embrace all of it. Otherism. You address otherism as a problem, not just racism. Um, because the only way to, to solve that problem is from an inclusion and belonging and an empathy and equity standpoint. And then you can go address with specific, specific strategies and tactics how that plays itself out. But it's not it's not about, you don't fix diversity. Again, diversity exists. There are bigger, more systemic problems that need to be fixed. And then you can go at something like diversity recruiting with, with the right tactics, like a, like a surgeon with precision tools, but it's the whole systemic problem that needs to be addressed. And that's Absolutely. why I said the timing thing, you know, when, when do you have these conversations? Until we're not sick anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we just haven't had them enough and we haven't been serious when we've had them. We've placated people by having them. It's almost like just pat me on the head, like, you know, just go sit in the corner. You know, we we talked about it a little bit. That'll make Torn be quiet. That'll keep the rabble rousers quiet. You know, we. Nah, you know, we got to be serious about this. And I've read more reports, Jess and Jason, you know, if we fix this issue, Boom, we fix everything for everyone. I've long said if we get DNI right in an organization, you get the entire organization tight. Like yes. fix yeah. DNI. If listen to me, and, and I'm addressing it head on. If you fix the issue of black men and black women, if you fix those two issues, trust me when I tell you how much more effective everything else is going to run in your organization and in your community, without a shadow of a doubt. Healthcare will be better. Public policy is gonna be better. Education is gonna be better. Job force is gonna be better. 
everything if we just fix it. We did a they did a study, 922 of the top 1,000 organizations hadn't even addressed pay inequity. Uh, I think 21% of the 922 did a pay equity report or assessment in their organization between 2016 and 2020. So most of them are not even looking at pay, uh, pay equality. But yet the statistic is the average black man and woman loses a million dollars over the span of a 40-year professional career. Like mm. who out here couldn't use an extra mill, just one of them M's, drop them in the right. back, just one M. And that's not even being, you know, incredible. That's just simply doing whatever your job is, losing a million. But the narrative from the media and from some of these other folks that says, well, I don't see color and, you know, it's a meritocracy and all that other bullshit that they've been saying. They don't want to talk about that part of the equation. They just want to simply say, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, you know, if, if, if you if you were really productive, you would have gotten the promotion and, you know, all of these other things, except for dealing with the thing. And the problem for me is that we don't call a thing a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we like to make it cute. We put lipstick on it, throw some of that product cologne that I said I was going to put on. We do all of those things, but we don't really call a thing a thing. So we got to do a better job of that. What you just described, Torn, and then I know Jason has a question. That's the problem of a a good friend of mine, Stephanie Walton, has described that as the the issue of having to be exceptionally Black. You can't, to, to achieve the same level of success... Uh, what you might call success, you have to be exceptionally black. There's the, like there's a multiplier um, that you have to overcome. How exhausting. I mean, this is, again, this is the problem that I think people just need to see and understand more clearly. Nobody's complicit or we're all complicit because all complicit. we exist and breathe in the year that is 2021. Yep. Uh, but you're only complicit if you don't do something, just take simple action. And this isn't, you know, when we talked about timing and there were some comments in the thread about, you know, it, we make it sound like conflict resolution. Okay, but again, this isn't, this, there are no sides here. There's one side, humanity. There's no conflict resolution to be done. We just need to get to the other side of this. Um, and that that does take everyone. You, you don't, you know, forget allyship. Like everybody should be an activist on this issue. Jason, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so Torn, I'm gonna ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, did you think I was frozen? I was just thinking. If she, someone just asked me if I was frozen, I was like, no, I'm just totally thinking. That was very funny. Um, so here's my question, and it's going to make me probably sound stupid, but I'm going to try it anyway. So on one of these meetups probably eight weeks ago, I talked about um, some struggles I've had with mental health. And when you try to explain struggles that you have with mental health to someone who hasn't had mental health struggles, it's hard for them to understand. You know, and listening to you talk and listening to people talk about this space, you know, I understand it because I've, well, excuse me, I understand it because I would listen to it all the time and I'm a human and I can empathize, but I don't truly understand. I feel like I'm not even qualified to understand it because of who I am. You know, I'm a white male, you know, and I'm reading the chat about, hey, is this 
This is true for gay people. This is true for females. This is true for so-and-so, which we can't put ourselves in all of those categories. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be gay. I'm not going to be female. You know, I can't be black. I mean, I guess I could, but I'm not. So how do we understand, truly, truly understand, in order to take action, the way that people feel when we're not in those shoes? Does the question make sense? Yeah, I think I understand it. And again, the intersectionality is even present for you, Jason, you know, of a certain age, probably of a certain religious and political background, yep. a certain familial status, certain community. There's There are intersections and layers of who Jason is. And so what I would say to Jason is, but understand that when you and I are exchanging conversation, whether it be over a beverage during happy hour, whether we are the first two people in the conference room for the next meeting and we're waiting for everyone to come in, it could possibly be uh, after one of those summer experiences of a black man being murdered in the street, you and I are the only ones there and you don't understand this whole Black Lives Matter thing. We could be sitting in a room waiting for people to come in and I'm trying to figure out, well, why are people changing their flag to you know, the church over in Paris, France, and I haven't done that. It could be that Confederate flag on the back of your vehicle, and I don't really speak to you in the hallways because you were you got that flag on the back of your vehicle, and that flag represents something to me different than it represents to you. We bring the layers to the equation. And what I would say to you is you may not understand all of it like I don't understand all of it, but it's how can we get proximate with one another and outside of our emotion? How can we leave that fragility to the side? I think the problem for too many white people is that when we bring up the subject of race or we bring up the subject of otherism, as Jess has said, white people tend to get defensive. They tend to say, well, I'm not racist. So then they shut down and they don't want to have the conversation. They don't want to talk anymore. They tend to get fragile. Well, you're talking about me being, you know, no, don't get fragile. I'm not calling you a racist. I might say that you didn't say shit when you should have, but I'm not calling you a racist. You know, it's about being able to step outside of our emotion. You brought my man Jennings up. Pop, love that. You know, so I'm just saying it's a matter of you. I, I include him in the presentation. Every time I do a presentation, I talk about people in our industry. And, and there are always metaphors and, you know, you know, there, there are signals that I drop in my, I don't always make it clear when I'm delivering. Sometimes I want you to hear me and think about what I said a day later, an hour later, a week later, two weeks later. So yes, I included when uh, in uh, my presentation for 2019. But what I'm saying, uh, Jason, you got to step outside of that emotion and that fragility and just allow you and I to be intimate and proximate one, one another. And you got to do what I always say, a condition of progress is to allow those that are suffering to speak their truth. I'm not going to lie to you. I ain't got to sit up here and make shit up. I don't have to, you know, I don't, I don't need attention like that. So I'm not getting ready to be real grand, you know, about whatever the story is in September in Detroit, or I, I'm not doing that. I'm telling you the truth. So all I need you to do is take me for face value until I prove to you that I don't deserve that love and that trust that you are giving me. 
But if you give me that love and that trust and I give you the same and you understand, man, you know what? I didn't know that they experienced that that way. I didn't know that whatever Wynn is about to say, you know, was as it is for him and or people in his community. But I need to give some different thought to that. I need to show up and think about differently. How is it that I can be that ally for that community? It's something called covering. I talked about it in 2015 and it's still relevant today. It's titled covering uh, Kenji Yoshino and Deloitte did an incredible group of study around 2014 on such. Go out and research it and you'll understand what I'm saying. And no, that's great. And, you know, thank you for answering the question. And I guess my question wasn't as stupid as so many people told me <laughs> in the chat that it wasn't stupid. You know, someone asked a follow up to my question, Mark Machetta, which basically said, how do we have those discussions in a way that doesn't downplay, ignore or minimize the battles fought and won by others? I think it's all in our words, you know, and it's how we, you know, how we show up in that conversation. You know, sometimes when I uh, pause or when I look up left or right, I'm really trying to find the right word because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Again, I've made mistakes, but I want to sound thoughtful. I don't want to minimize people's issue. I don't want to minimize, you know, um, I got something up on the screen. Um, this is a report called Divided by Design. And it was a report done by uh, Mitch Landrew, who is the former mayor of New Orleans. And I actually pulled this up because I wanted to read it at some point. The report is about 90 pages long, Jason. And just what it says here, one of the pieces on page 12, it says, white respondents were often pessimistic about the path forward on race. Some expressed a zero sum mentality. That's already a problem. Already a problem. To them, as black Americans have made inroads politically and socially, this comes at the expense of white people. When discussing the nation's racial history, many white respondents flatly rejected the idea that we should spend any more time or effort discussing race. This was a large part of the people that were, you know, queried and interviewed for this report that they put together. So you got a whole, and this was states going across the South. So you got a whole lot of white folks that ain't even trying to have a conversation. How in the hell are we going to make progress if they're not trying to have a conversation? Mm -hmm. and you want to know how I know it's true? Because rest his soul, Chris Fields, he was building a speaker's bureau a couple of years ago. And he was trying to get some of us speaking opportunities. Cool. I was like, whatever. If you can get one for me, you can get one for me. If not, it's not, you know, no big deal. Whenever he would present my name and information to the Sherm chapters in the South, you know what they said? Oh, hell no. He's too, he's too forward for us. He's too aggressive for yeah. us. So Chris would always call me and he'd say, Torn, I was this close. But that message, they're they not ready for that message. And that was 2015, 16, 17. The report I'm reading from is 2019. So I know what he was telling me then is true today. They don't want mm -hmm. to talk about it. You're not going to make progress if you ain't having a conversation. Jennings, aren't you glad you came for Torin? Uh, yes, of course. Um, for everyone on the call, uh, this was not planned. Um, so I had to leave. I, 
part of my part. But you slam that shirt you are you slam that shirt you are wearing, right, Jennings? Well, I always have something like this on because I think I'm a unicorn. Um, <laughs> I messaged Jennings yesterday, Torin. I said, you know, I got our man Torin on tomorrow. And he, I think he did this to his calendar. Like, <laughs> and, and was not expecting to be pulled in. So uh, two thoughts. Uh, Jess pulled me in to talk about mental health, which I'll go into for a second. But um, I was born in Possum Kingdom, South Carolina, and I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. And I just want to reaffirm Torin's last statement. It is, it, 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 it's so ingrained. The, we don't want to talk about it. Um, uh, let's remember the Civil War through monuments, but not slavery. Um, and I don't have a solution, of course, but it, it just want to reaffirm his truth. Um, so Jess pulled me in because of my comment in the chat about the fact that I'm a suicide survivor. Um, I have post-traumatic stress disorder and bipolar depression. Um, but I have a great life by acknowledging that. I have a great career um, once I accepted that. Um, and one of my passions um, that Tor and I have talked about, you know, kind of offline is that, you know, we should just talk about it more. Or if, if you don't wanna talk about it, if you can't talk about it and someone chooses to talk to you about it, just listen. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not, freaks we're not you know you know someone to tiptoe around um everyone has some degree of anxiety and depression and issues and you just never know what someone else is going through um i don't want to say something like assume the worst about someone but just assume that there might be something there yeah and, everyone and has a story. yes everyone has their story um and that you could be the best person for them, um, the best ally for them. Um, and I loved what you said, Torin, about um, less allyship, more action. And that doesn't mean no allies, um, but take action. I think that's important for people to understand. Torn, when you had me on your Sirius XM radio show last summer, I told you before George Floyd, I didn't wake up every morning actively fighting racism. And then I had this realization that maybe I do need to be active. This isn't a not my world, not my problems. I'm so sorry about all of this, but that's not my battle to fight. This isn't that thing because again, we're talking about humanity here. We're talking about the fact that everybody walking the planet at the same time isn't treated in an equal and fair way, isn't even represented in an accurate way. And so Jennings, what you just said, it's so, so important. It's there, we have all this protected class shit in HR where we can't like, we can't wear our identity, we can't ask you know, recruits certain questions. And I'm, I'm not even gonna tackle that. That's, a, that's a, a different issue altogether. But when do we actually get to talk about our gender, our race, our ethnicity, our sexuality, our, you know, our religious and political view? Like, when do we get to talk about the things that actually make us human? 
because until we're having that conversation with each other, it's all lipstick. I mean, it's, it's shallow. And when it comes to mental health, not to derail the whole meeting. And mental health, yes. There's this pressure for it to be secret, not just personally, but professionally. Like if I, there's that fear that if you tell someone you have this protected class or just even these issues, then somehow you fear in the human resources industry, um, you know, you won't get hired or even in whatever industry you work in, you won't get promoted and someone will think you volatile or, or whatever that might be. And it creates this environment of not asking for what you need. Um, and even if you ask for it, you need these people aren't willing to receive that. And, and where I tie that to what we're talking about with racism is listening and providing what someone asks of you. Yeah, let me jump in on that uh, mental health piece. Yeah. So, you know, I have a uh, podcast called Crazy and the King. We mm-hmm. are in our third year of doing uh, sessions. And when we first started, I was a bit hesitant to run with the name Crazy and the King. When I talked to my pod partner, she said, Torn, I want people to know that I suffer from a mental illness, that I am highly functioning, extremely productive. I have title, great life. I want people to know this is my way of allowing or bringing people into something that I have not necessarily revealed on the stage because at the time when Julie Sowash and I got together, we met at an uh, Disrupt HR event in Chicago. I literally flew in, spoke for five minutes or 15, whatever that thing is, and yeah. you know, flew back out. And she was one of the speakers. And then you know, a month and a half later, Chad was like, why don't you two you know, do a podcast? You both care about diversity. I say that to simply say, not only have we grown together as pod partners, but I've grown in my affinity and my ability to support family members who also have mental illness. Like Julie has told me stories and I've been able to sit back and say like this, like, wow, that's something that I was experiencing with that family member or with that family member. And at the time, I didn't do a good job of supporting them. And I would thank Julie. One time I almost thanked her close in tears. I was literally almost in tears. And I picked up the phone and I called my nephew and all I could say to him was, I love you, man. And I'm sorry. Like I absolutely didn't recognize what I was seeing. I really thought that you were acting and I just like sat there and talked to him for like 20 minutes. And all he did was smile on the other side. He was like, it's okay, Uncle Torn. He said, I know you love me. I was like, no, you got to know how much I love you. You got to know how much I am sorry for missing that window of your life and not being able to support you the way that you needed to be supported. So when Jennings says, sometimes we just simply need to listen. What I'm going to say to Jennings and everyone else that's out there watching we got to make space for people to be able to bring that truth. Yes. See, if we don't make that space in the organization, then we're going to keep people in closets and behind veils and 
hiding and less than productive. It's called stereotype threats. They will retreat and they're not going to contribute in our organization. And this ain't coming from a dude with an MBA or PhD. This is coming from a dude who understands people. Mm -hmm. You got to make space. You got to make space. (laughs) You just got to make, you got to make space in your workplace. So people feel comfortable because I'm telling you when I met this cat in Chicago, when I met him in Chicago, I remember exactly standing here on that stage, lighting that room up. He was in the back corner. They, I knew they were upset with me because they were like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I made sure before I left, I had to meet him. Met him and have been like a fan, friend, supportive ever since. So when he says, just listen, you got to be able to make space for people so they feel comfortable talking so we can listen. Oh, yes. That's why the acronym is backwards. DEI, we do diversity work first without doing the inclusion and the equity and the belonging stuff. It's it. Right, Jennings? Yes. 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 Very much so. And on mental illness, like I think, um, you know, if, if I had like a trick knee, and couldn't go downstairs, nobody would question that. But Mm -hmm. what if I have a trick brain and just need to process stuff differently, then that's an issue. Yeah. Um, I have to jump in really quick because Janae, one of my favorite people on here has done so much. She's asked a quick question and I'll throw it in because I know we're almost out of time. I know we're at time, but what does make space look like? Yeah, I mean, again, for me, it could happen in your ERGs, Janae. And we won't go into that because we don't have a lot of time to talk about the proper structure of an incredible and contributory ERG. It could be about you and I just simply saying after a Zoom meeting, you know, I recognize, Janae, that you weren't like 100% on. Is anything going on? Do you do you need to talk about something? You want to run something by me? You know, Can I just listen? It's being able to be in tune with the people right now on Zoom. It's being able to say that we got to do a little bit more than just have the Zoom meeting. Hey, why don't we have a Zoom happy hour for first time mothers? Let's do a Zoom happy hour at five o'clock for individuals that might be suffering from a mental. And let's bring in a therapist or uh, someone who can give them. I don't know, but let's make space. Let's create the let's create a feeling like, you know, you're being on this payroll is appreciated. It's valued. We really want you. You're not just another number, just another employee. Like I really want, if we say, bring your whole self to work and I see that you are not a hundred percent, I'm going to stop what I'm doing because I can always get back to that. There is nothing that I'm working on that is more powerful and more important than a relationship of the people that I'm working with. And sometimes it only takes a moment. Like literally just recognize that something is off. It only takes a moment. So when I say make space, make space. I love that. I cannot believe it's killing me that we're at time. I knew this topic would, (laughs) I knew we'd want to go forever, but we can't. I'm sure people have somewhere else to be. Um, Torin, I want to thank you for coming on with us and thank you for keynoting 
at HR Tech next month. There's the, the link again to register. Uh, so many amazing keynotes lined up. Jennings, thank you for being in this space with us. And I know, Mark, we can keep going. I have, I will, we'll keep going as long as, as long as, as people want to. I will say next week, our guest, we're previewing the keynote speakers of HR Tech, and we're going to keep doing that. They're all lined up. But next week, I'm interrupting that preview series to have someone who's not keynoting HR Tech, but Jean, she, she, she should in the future. Rocky Howard is with us next week. She is. I know. So if you want this conversation to keep going, just come back next week. Rocky For Howard real. is the yeah, like yeah, I didn't know that, but but now that I know that, I'm not staying any longer because Rocky is like that. You know, like we really could abbreviate and Rocky can pick up like you don't even have you can just take the last question, give it to Rocky and she's getting ready to run at 100 miles per hour. So you all are absolutely in for a treat. It should be 2000 people on next week, you know, yeah. to, to listen to Rocky. Hey, but listen real quick. Can I like shamelessly plug five o'clock? Yeah, Do 5 p.m. this evening, Michael Heller and I are going to hop on Clubhouse. So if you're not following me on Clubhouse, follow me. Like Jason, I'm trying to get into the mix. I've only yeah. had one conversation, which was last Friday, and I didn't know how to work all the buttons. So I think this Friday I got it together. And we're going to have a conversation. And Michael Heller, white guy, love him. I love Michael. He's like torn. He said, there's a lot of questions that I want to ask you about this DNI stuff. You know, and I think that I speak for a lot of individuals that are a bit afraid. Well, I let's talk. Bring it. So 5 p.m. this evening. And if you have not registered for HR Technology Conference, register for the conference. Listen, they gave me the closing keynote. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to watch the closing keynote. And you're going to say to yourself, damn. Period. Perfect. Mic drop.